back to the Civil War era, where would you go back to? We'll put author Timothy S. Good on the Civil War time machine when we return with Civil War Talk Radio. In the great scheme of things, a minute isn't all that much, unless you happen to have a stroke. All of a sudden, those minutes count. Minutes that could mean losing your ability to talk, move, or walk. Which is why, if you can get help in time, your stroke can be treated. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face. If you experience this, call 911 immediately. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Looking for answers in real estate? We break it down for you. Each week, the Exeter Group explores how successful investors evaluate and acquire real estate to build their portfolio. From financing tips, tax and accounting strategies, and advice on how to control risk, the Exeter Group entertains and informs while divulging secrets used by the most successful investors. Tune in to the Exeter Group every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on World Talk Radio Studio A. Hey, how you doing? Educational videos, top quality, right here. You'll never hear anyone selling education on the street. But with free family learning programs, you can get the education you need. Call 1-877-FAMLIT-1 for information on free learning programs. 1-877-FAMLIT-1. Check it out, check it out. We're your GED right here, guaranteed, ma. Come on, check it out. Free family learning programs from the National Center for Family Literacy. Brought to you by the National Center for Family Literacy and the Ad Council. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Tim Good, author of The Lincoln-Douglas Debates and the Making of a President. And also, We Saw Lincoln Shot, 100 Eyewitness Accounts. So two books that bracket Lincoln's presidency. Um, in our last segment, we were talking about the, the ideological shifts in Lincoln's words during the uh, debates with Stephen Douglas. Uh, and this being an election year, the debate is certainly a worthwhile thing to consider. Um, Tim, a lot of people uh, seem to believe that the, the debates that Lincoln and Douglas had were of a much higher standard than anything that could uh, be conducted today. Do you share that view? Uh, that's a fascinating question, Jerry. I, I think there's some distinct differences between how we hold debates today and how they held debates then. And I think the media, I mean, especially television, uh, really has, has changed the way candidates portray themselves. I mean, back in 1858, each one of these debates, I mean, this was a huge, huge event for the town. And thousands of people came in. Um, in some of the debates that were near Chicago, people took entire trains to come visit these things. And so I don't think you would receive that type of attention today, simply because of television. And the other thing that distinguishes those debates from what I might describe as the modern era is you know, Douglas and Lincoln, uh, the way they handled the debates, uh, you know, one would speak for an hour, one would speak for over an hour, then another would have a half hour uh, as a final rebuttal. And obviously that kind of format I don't think would survive too well uh, in television. 
1858 was really the ideal format uh, for the discussion. But the most important part of the political dialogue between Lincoln and Douglas, I would contend, is not so much what they said at the debate sites, but what people read that they said at the debate sites. And in that sense, there is a great deal of similarity uh, between you know, the modern uh, campaigning and the campaign of 1858. It was really the printed media which provided uh, many of the voters their only introduction uh, to the candidates' viewpoints, and also uh, the material based on how they would end up actually casting their vote. So the the method gets out uh, in different ways, certainly, obviously, then as composed as opposed to now. The idea of a three-hour debate uh, it suggests on television it wouldn't work well. Were, were people just more patient then? Well, that's that's an interesting point, and it would be it'd be fascinating to be there for the debates, specifically for two reasons. Number one, to see how well the candidates actually were heard. Remember, there were no microphones. And second of all, how well were the people actually paying attention to the debates? Were they just there because of all the excitement, or were they actually there to uh, intellectually gauge the different views of the candidates? And in some cases, like at Galesburg, uh, the reports are, suggest that the weather was very poor, it was very windy. At Alton, uh, the suggested that Douglas had nearly lost his voice and was barely audible. Again, how did people react to that? And so I think there's a lot of different um, uh, factors that may have caused people to actually attend the debates and also different factors which actually cause them to decide whether they were actually listened or not. The final factor, which is, I think, quite fascinating, is all the comments made by the audience during, uh, during the debate. And often it would appear from the newspaper accounts that Douglas and, inter and Lincoln were interrupted, sometimes by questions from the audience, not solicited, of course, or comments um, or applause. Um, as they spoke. So there's definitely a sense of interaction occurring between the candidates, but you really would have to wonder how close you'd have to be to the stage to be able to engage in that or even to be able to hear the candidates themselves. Yeah, I mean, if there's 15,000 people out there, uh, it, it's very hard to be heard. To, to It's almost unimaginable you could be heard unamplified by by a crowd that large. Uh, very true, very, very true. And it would, um, you really, it would be fascinating to actually test this and see how many people you could get into a location and actually be able to hear a candidate without amplification. I know in, in some years ago, C-SPAN sponsored uh, reenactments of the debates where people playing Lincoln and Douglas uh, gave, you know, read their parts. From the debates, but I, but I don't know if they reenacted the entire setting, putting 15,000 or 10,000 people together. That would make it interesting. To uh, it would be very interesting. But I don't think they uh, repeated that. But that I mean, to get the photograph alone would be fascinating to get that many people in one location. Yeah. Now, I'd, as I said in the introduction to this segment, uh, something I like to ask guests on the show is, is where you would go if you could go back for an hour. Um, obviously, the, the Lincoln-Douglas debates would certainly be an interesting place to go. 
but if you could spend an hour back in history, uh, where would you want to go, and what would you want to see, or who would you talk to? Well, it's interesting. As I was thinking about this, um, of, of all Lincoln's speeches, you know, putting the debates aside, of course, I, I mean, I'd love to be to be, have been able to attend all the debates just to watch the interaction uh, between the audience and the candidates, something that I don't think was fully captured by historical accounts. But it, um, I think there were two speeches that Lincoln delivered that I think it would be fascinating to be present for. Obviously, the Gettysburg Address, uh, you may you may see a similar experience there that you did in the debates where most people didn't hear what he said, but it would just be fascinating there to see just a critical event in American history. The other speech he gave was the last public address of his life when he actually uh, suggests that African Americans, specifically the soldiers, um, should actually have the right to vote. And it would just be fascinating to be there and to hear any of the comments by the other people in the audience to see what they said about this radical change uh, in American history. And, of course, there's also some speculation that Booth was in the audience at that point, too, and that was the speech uh, that caused him to decide to assassinate Lincoln. But I think those, those two speeches, I think it would be a wonderful opportunity to be there uh, to hear them. Well, it really would be. That would be something else. Well, I was thinking as we were talking here, uh, we were talking about Lincoln's uh, the end of his life. Uh, but this past week, we were celebrating the beginning of his life. Uh, you and I were in Springfield for the Lincoln's birthday events. But there were also uh, uh, there were supposed to be bigger events than that at Lincoln's birthplace in Kentucky, and uh, many of them, which were to take place outdoors near the Lincoln. Uh, birthplace cabin were canceled due to bad weather. Uh, I guess they had an unexpectedly heavy snow in in, in Kentucky, and uh, the events didn't take place. Now you're with the the Park Service, uh, and it, all I could think of when I heard about that was, boy, someone's going to be in trouble. <laughs> um, they did, didn't didn't have a backup plan for the bad weather, and now they're uh, there they go. Um, well, did you have any thought about that? Did did you uh, wonder who's who's planning this sort of thing, or uh, well, did it bring I, back memories of any events that didn't work? Yeah, I was able to talk to a few people who were down there in Kentucky, and it was um, it was really the question of ice and uh, the safety of the visitors that caused them to uh, cancel the events. And because they had events scheduled uh, throughout the throughout the day. It, it made it impossible for them to re and beyond. It made it impossible for them to reschedule it. But um, I think, as I told you there in Springfield, I was really impressed on C-SPAN. You had Harold Holzer and Sam Watterson on taking questions, and uh, I thought it was a great opportunity once again to uh, expand interest in Lincoln and also knowledge of him. So I think Lincoln did receive, uh, out of all the events, including the ones at Springfield. Um, some good coverage, and I think uh, this will only continue as we move forward to the 200th anniversary of his birth. Now, you were at the Lincoln home, as we said earlier, and uh, but now you're based in Nebraska. What what exactly are you doing there? I'm at the uh, Midwest Regional Office uh, for the National Park Service and handling a variety of issues, uh, budget, uh, fiscal, uh, 
strategic planning uh, policy, and so a variety of things. Uh, now there are, as you noted in Springfield, some Park Service people who work in this building that get to deal with history the whole time. So I do enjoy the opportunities that I have to go down and talk to them uh, about uh, new discoveries that they have, and specifically the two people that were there with us at Springfield have just a wonderful opportunity to work with the Underground Railroad Program, which has, has just done a remarkable job at increasing awareness of all the Underground Railroad sites throughout the country. I know one of my special stories about that program is in talking with them, there is evidence that the Underground Railroad even occurred in Alaska, where uh, freedom seekers, the uh, term that they used for those fleeing slavery, actually boarded ships in New England, uh, typically whaling ships, and when they got to Alaska, uh, they then left the ship at that point. And I think all these stories really show just how extensive the Underground Railroad was, and it explains so much in terms of why the Emancipation Proclamation was so successful. As soon as the slaves had the chance for freedom, they took it, and you know made the Emancipation Proclamation, again, one of the most critical documents in American history. They did that, and tying this all together, when you and I were in Springfield, uh, one of the things we saw was the dedication of a, a, a site uh, several lots down from the Lincoln home on the same street, um, the, the Jameson House, where the owner apparently had been involved in the Underground Railroad, uh, just a few, just a hundred yards from, from Lincoln's home. He was not involved, but uh, his neighbors were. And uh, so we learned something new all the time. Well, Tim, unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, the hours always go by too fast on Civil War Talk Radio. But thanks very much for joining me today. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Jerry. And again, excellent talk in Springfield. I really enjoyed your talk there. Well, well, thank you. I enjoyed yours very much. And listeners, if you didn't hear the talk, you can get the book, uh, The Lincoln-Douglas Debates and the Making of a President by Timothy S. Good. You'll enjoy the book. And thank you all for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Mm-hmm.